No one has ever shown that human emissions of carbon dioxide drive global warming. We have a massive power, and it's the power to say no. They, they put all these words on these flies, and it means nothing. It's, it, it, it's garbage. We're all going to die! <laughs> Doctors are gaslighting patients. You keep silent then this is what's going to happen. And they'll make us silent. I would rather paper cut my eyelids than have an issue with that. <laughs> we are one people, one flag, one Australia. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Ex-Candidates. My name is Stephen Tripp, joined by two of my good friends tonight, which is uh, always a good thing. But firstly, Adam Zara, how are you going today? I'm pretty good, Stephen. How are you going, mate? Uh, I'm very well. Thank you, Adam. Now, uh, what's been happening in your world out in Campbelltown? We don't talk about when we we haven't talked about Campbelltown too much lately. Uh, how's the cost of living and everything going on out there? Cost of living is, um, <clears throat> you know, on the rise. <laughs> it should be the cost of good times should be on the rise, but unfortunately, the cost of living's on the rise. So, um, I think we did get a reprieve for for, for petrol recently, so it came down. I did was able to buy petrol for under two dollars a litre, which was pretty crazy. I mean, just just under two dollars. I'm talking like a dollar ninety nine point nine, but you know, it's still you kind of like it's better than two dollars sixty a litre, I reckon. So, I, I, um, I remember back in the day when uh, petrol first went to a dollar a litre, and everyone was losing their minds. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, how can it be a dollar a litre? Now it's well yeah. over that. Too, it's like it's nuts. <laughs> Bring back the days of eighty-six cents a liter. I remember I used to have my cars, and you could fill it. You fill them up for sixty bucks. It was just wicked, and then, you know, and it. And you got to think about it too, right? Like cheap fuel. Um, you know, it's a cheap energy source, and what happens is it, it keeps the cost of living and everything down anyway, because you're not paying for those extra fees and charges. Um, you know, in deliveries, and you know, think about um, farmers running um, generators and pumps and all the diesel fuel they have to use, and think about all those kind of things. All that adds up. You know, when it goes up, doubles and triples in price. You know, from the '90s. You know, and we're talking only you know 15, 20 years um, of. Uh, exorbitant price rises in fuel. I mean, it's in the ground. It hasn't really changed. I don't understand why we have such uh, more uh, pressure, upward pressure on fuel prices. I guess taxes and excise taxes and things like that all come into play. But um, yeah, anyway, so um, cost of living in Campbelltown's, you know, pretty high. Um, I'd like to actually do a little bit of a shout out if I could, fellas. Um, I'd like to um, do a bit of a shout out to a local Campbelltown girl, Nicole Pastor. Um, she's, you know, breaking her way into the acting world and she just had, they just had a release of another movie that she was in called Christmas, uh, Christmas actually. And it's kind of like an Australian take on bad Santa, but talking about Campbelltown, it was filmed out here and, um, you know, it was really good to see, you know, local places and, um, and, uh, and, you know, quite good actors in there as well. So it was a pretty good movie and I think it was something that, um, I think if you get a chance to support the Australian f- film industry, um, this is a really good one to start um, with. Uh, yeah, so, Nicole uh, Pastor, big shout-out to you saying uh, good on you and keep up the hard work. And um, I'm sure you've got bigger and better things coming. But uh, Christmas, it was a great movie film locally, and I think everybody should watch that one. Yeah, very good. And uh, we encourage everyone also to jump over to Buy Me A Coffee as well if you want to uh, – 
give Adam and I a little special thanks. Uh, it's uh, it's just there for anyone that wants to contribute. And as I say every week, it blows my mind that people want to part with their hard-earned money, especially in a cost-of-living crisis, just to say thanks to Adam and I. But that option is there if you choose. Remember, it is X candidates now, not the EX candidates. We got rid of the E, so it's just the X candidates um, on Buy Me A Coffee. You can head there. But uh, I think tonight's going to be a lot of fun because uh, we have Paul Vallejo returning. Uh, now, Paul joined us in the past. So we've had him on uh, previously once when we were talking about nuclear energy, but he's also joined us as a co-host uh, with Dr. Peter McCullough, Nikolai Petrosky, uh, also uh, recently with Chris Martinson. Uh, so it was, it's always fantastic having Paul with us. So that's why I enjoy having Paul on because I, I mean, not only did I spend all day with him today as well, we, we, I, you, you always feel like in the amount of time you have with Paul, you still haven't had the time to discuss everything you want to discuss because you just, that's right. you just want to pick his brain about everything. But Paul, we've introduced you in the past. You want to just give everyone that may not have heard you before just a quick background of uh, who you are, like your time at NASA and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, it's been a wandering road. I grew up in New York. Uh, my first uh, degree at uni, my first, first major was nuclear engineering. I customized that degree into an engineering science degree that included uh, aerospace and a little bit of astrophysics. I worked 10 years at NASA in a few different divisions, uh, avionics, systems engineering, uh, and information systems. Uh, and then I uh, had a couple of uh, winding roads, um, did some uh, teaching. I got two master's degrees in behavioral science uh, and economics, um, one of them at uh, Sydney Uni. Um, moved to Australia permanently in 2012 uh, and uh, became a citizen maybe five years later. Uh, and, um, yeah, you know, it's it's been a wandering road, but for a very curious uh, person uh, like myself, uh, it's kind of the way I, I, I enjoyed it. It's been a, a, I'm very grateful for, for uh, every twist and turn, even if some of them were unexpected. Now, we consider you to be the nuclear guru on this show. Uh, I know the UAP also called upon your services at the federal election. Why is that? Like, why are you – where does your knowledge of, around nuclear energy come from? Yeah, well, you know, there's one saying, uh, in a blind world, the one-eyed man is king. So, you know, given that Australia has banned nuclear energy for a few decades, uh, the person who's taken a few nuclear engineering courses and used some of that knowledge during, uh, during an engineering career, uh, you know, may pass as a, as a rare um, source uh, in the location. So, you know, it's not like I designed uh, nuclear uh, reactors for subs or spent a long time in the industry. Uh, but um, but I'm, I'm quite familiar with the basics and also because I have a, a large curiosity about the topic of energy and energy policy and the basic physics behind things, um, you know, I help out where I can. And, um, yeah, that's, that's where we'll start. Paul, so, I mean, obviously I know you work for NASA now, so that's, you know, I, I don't know if it's a private agency or a governmental agency, but I know it's all linked. <laughs> um, so just quickly, so, um, you know, we – you know, obviously our streams on our social medias and stuff like that are filled with um, conspiracy theories and stuff like that. So what do the real photos of the Earth look like with undoctored? Jeez. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, we've had, we've had plenty of Earth-facing satellites uh, 
and, and, and missions that have gone out into, into deeper space. What are the real ones? Actually, how about this as a, as a little bit of a turn? Have you ever seen um, the poles uh, of Saturn? The, the North Pole and the South Pole. The picture came out is really, really strange. Uh, they, they, they did a polar flyby uh, uh, of, of Saturn, and the cloud formations are hexagons. Now, oh. I have no idea, like, because, you know, you'd figure everything would be circular. But if you pull yeah. that up, uh, you know, and maybe you'll get a chance to, to sort of pull it up in real time, uh, they, they're a hexagonal formation on the, uh, on the North and South Pole of, of, of Saturn. Now, I have no idea what the physics behind something like that might be, uh, or if whoever uh, is rendering our simulation kind of had a little bit of an oversight in terms of, uh, so, so yeah, that, that, the picture on the top left there, um, that, that hexagonal formation. Yes. And now, yeah. How on earth that happens, you know, I have a high curiosity, but I've, I, I, I don't know if anyone's figured that out. Or like I said, maybe it's the, uh, uh, the whoever is in charge of the simulation, you know, just clicked on the wrong uh, uh, to, to make our, our uh, you know, because uh, you're like, oh, no one's ever going to look at that. So we're not going to double check what that looks like. Well, this is what I'm this is what I'm kind of alluding to is like they're getting a bit lazy now, you know, with their um, you know, doctoring <laughs> their photos. Like you get a picture of. I don't know how true or real or that not they are. It's just, you know, stuff that comes up on feeds and things like that. And I've used them as sources before, I guess, and, you know, get some great knowledge from some of these places, um, you know, with a grain of salt too. So you've got to always, we, all, we just don't take it as fact. You've got to look into it a bit as well. But you get a photo of the earth. So when you look up at the sky in any direction, there's stars everywhere. And then you'll see, um, you know, the astronauts on the moon and they'll take a photo of the planet earth and there's not one star behind it. How, can, is there is there any explanation behind any of that? Uh, yeah, uh, you know, you'll anytime you take a picture with a very bright uh, foreground, you're not going to see faint objects in the background. But you're kind of getting, you know, to uh, one interesting uh, part, which, uh, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this in the past, but particularly recently, is the branch of philosophy of epistemology, which is how you know what you know. You know, and these days, I think it's very disorienting because there are a lot of people who are sure of stuff, and then a lot of other people who are sure of something quite the opposite. Uh, you know, we, we, we exist in, in a narrative world where the news media, well, everyone thinks their news media is feeding them the truth, and the other person's news media is feeding them bullshit, Lies. right? Yeah. And, and so, you know, you have people who live in completely different universes, uh, sure of what they believe. Uh, and then the question is, how do we know we're not the ones who are being fooled? And how do we persuade others when they will, you know, not question their sources? What did you What did you call that theory? What was it? The epistemology. Well, epistemology. So it's a, the branch of philosophy. So metaphysics is what is the nature of reality. Epistemology right. is how do we know what we know. So one of the early questions uh, from the philosophers was uh, Rene Descartes, and Rene Descartes was a spiritual man, and he asked the question, "Well, how do I know anything?" Uh, because, you know, a powerful demon might deceive all my senses and might make me think, you know, that I'm actually here and that what I'm seeing is actually real. But none of that could be true. So how do I know anything at all? And that's where he transitioned to the famous phrase, cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. So he's like, I might be fooled by everything, but I know one thing, which is that I am. Everything mm-hmm. else is up for debate. 
Well, how do you feel about um, this theory out there about the flat earth? And we, we were talking about images of the earth from space and we're talking about yeah. narratives out there. I mean, I've, yeah. I've listened to some of these people and they sound very, very convincing, but I work as a surveyor. My job is to measure the land and it's just, it, it, I mean, it's madness how they think that the earth is flat. Yeah. And I just want to bring up this quickly. This, um, this is talking about the curvature of the earth. And scale factor. Now, we have to apply a scale factor to all our measurements because of the curvature of the Earth. So straight away, we know that the Earth is definitely not flat. It's actually not round either. It's a geoid, which means it's got ups and you know, mountains and valleys and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, the fact that these... Uh, and, and we're talking about this today, Paul. We're talking about... Uh, you, you, you brought up um, Sydney... Is it Sydney Powell? Oh yeah, um, yeah the, the, the kraken. Yeah. Yes, the kraken. You're saying that she was fed misinformation. So, I asked you. I, I, so, I asked you. Yeah. So, so, so you know, when you're talking about the flat Earth thing, that's people at some point I think are fed so much bullshit that they throw out the baby with the bathwater. You know, you know, you, you start getting uh, absolute nonsense uh, in, in the news. Things like. Uh, you know, the news art article saying that, you know, uh, Venice is flooding due to climate change, even though, the, you know, floods like that had happened 200 years. It's easy to look up that floods had happened like that 200 years ago or, you know, temperature records being, you know, the, 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 the highest in 12,000 years. While that's easily disprovable when you realize that Vikings had farmed barley in Greenland a thousand years ago and we still can't do that now because it's too cold. So, you know, you get this constant stream of bullcrap. And then you're like, well, maybe the earth is flat, you know, well, maybe I'm being lied to about everything. Um, you know, the, the, the concept of psyops is that we are purposefully fed certain kinds of bullcrap to keep us confused. Um, so, like, for instance, uh, January 6th as a controversial topic, um, you know, or climate change. If you take a subset uh, of the data, a subset of the news and you say this is a whole picture, you can convince some, you know, anyone of anything. Uh, and in the case of January 6th, there's good reason to believe that they released the subset of footage that fed a certain narrative about insurrection and violent, and, and, then, and then the rest of the footage comes out uh, where it's people walking inside the lines, you know, the, the velvet ropes and being escorted by Capitol Police around the, the U.S. Capitol. And well, which is true? Well, they're, they're both true, but but the the initial narrative showing you one side of the argument was a clear psyop in order to create a particular narrative that certain people wanted to be put forward. Um, so the hope that that's that's yeah. Again, it gets back to how do you know what you know, and how do you know if you're not being fed a narrative which is a subset of the of reality the, to fit a pre-existing conclusion. And who's pulling those strings and why? Hmm, that's right. Well, sorry, Stephen. So just on that topic real quick, somebody told me once, the best advice I ever had, um, I must have been, I reckon I would have only been in year six, so maybe 12, 13 years old, 12 years old. And they said, you don't know what you don't know. And that's what I live by. That's why I'm open to yes. all things. And then I, I draw my conclusions from all different narratives. So, when I, you know, this flat earth thing, I've got to be honest with you. There are some very, very convincing arguments about it. No, and what I can't get, not well, what I can't get, no, but, well, you're okay. You're a surveyor. Yeah. Okay. And you have algorithms that you have to follow. 
but you're not a yeah, mathematician. It's just very simple. It's scale factor. So yeah. basically, if you're going to measure 100 meters, right? If I, I've got my my total station, some people used to call it a theodolite in the in the in the old days, and it measures a distance to the prism that I'm measuring to. In 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 the real world, it's not 100 meters. So from from hundred from point A to point B is not a hundred meters because of the curvature of the Earth, right? Yeah. If you pull a piece of string between those two points, it's hundred meters. But if you if you follow the curvature of the Earth, it's more than a hundred meters, and only it's only slight because because the curvature is so large. But uh, I mean, if there if the Earth was flat, we wouldn't have to apply scale factor because or you've been trained to to think that you're right no you can test it you can test it in the field now so when you when i like i i, I guess what I, some of the things i specialize is in is a control network so in surveying this is going to get very technical and boring now but right wow think about a road project it's go it goes for kilometers right and to be able to set up our instruments, we have fixed points along that route. So they're called control marks. So I have to actually go and coordinate those control marks, right? So they have to be very precise because that's what we base the whole project off. Now, if if the earth was flat and there was no scale factor from point A to point B, which may be eight kilometres away, you would get no difference. But because there is scale factor, you get that difference, and if you do not, if you measure that at scale factor one, which is basically measuring 100 meters equals 100 meters, you you'll get a very what's called a misclose. It'll be very small, but because there because there is a curvature, and you're measuring at that scale factor, which we do, we measure at scale factor one initially, and then apply the scale factor later. Well, actually, we do a, we we put it through a least squares, and it gives us the scale factor. It, the, it's it and, and and when you're going up mountains, the scale factor is more. So you, you can see it. You, you test it in the real world. It's not because we're just fed a whole bunch yeah. of stuff for TAFE or whatever. And, and well, everything's just off that little bit. Well, if I can jump it. in on that, I mean, you know, that's really the key thing about epistemology is do you, and, and science. That, that's the benefit of science is that you have a testable hypothesis. And, Steve, what you're saying is is that, well, you, you basically have a test of the hypothesis and yeah, you can tell – one, you know, because anyone who can, can, can create a, a compelling narrative about a flat, flat earth and then what science tries to teach you to do, because, see, the reason why science is so powerful is because people love to believe, uh, you know, and, and, and once you do believe, then you have confirmation bias. You know, it, once you, ha- you once you believe in, in you know, man-made global boiling, uh, you know, every hot day, you're like, ah, oh, that's confirmation. Every cold day, you forget about it because you always remember the, your, your predictions, but you always forget when they don't come true. So we have this confirmation bias. We have the, this pattern recognition where like every now and then somewhere in Mexico, you know, there'll be a, a picture of Jesus and a burnt piece of toast and people will come for miles and, and, and come see the magic toast. Uh, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, and anything particular about the, uh, anything religious, but there is this tendency uh, to have to, to see patterns and randomness and to have confirmation bias. So that's why science, where you have a testable hypothesis uh, and then you run the experiment and then you report on your data is so powerful. But what the big problem we've had in the last bunch of years is that science has been corrupted by narrative and narrative is you have your conclusion you find the subset of data that fits your conclusion and you say you've done the science. 
And then you say, follow the science. <laughs> yeah. Or, or we go back to what you were saying about before. They take a little snippet of something and build a whole argument on it. So absolutely, I can't talk about it completely, but uh, th- on Wednesday this week I was part of a pilot episode for Sky News and uh, I was part of a panel on that. And um, one of the, uh, I guess they had two uh main panellists, regulars of Sky News, uh, debating a topic. And one of the topics was, uh, does Australia need nuclear energy? And one of the people uh, arguing against it was a member of the upper house in New South Wales as part of the Greens party. So that was very interesting. It was interesting to me to hear what the Greens' arguments were against nuclear energy. And a lot of it's just emotional hocus-pocus. But one of the things that this person said was that, oh, we don't want to go into uh, nuclear energy because we don't want, you know, we would have to mine the uranium and we don't want to do any more mining, okay? We don't, oh, we my don't, gosh. We don't want to do any more mining. As if renew like wind farms and solar panels just magically grow out of the ground without anything. Exactly. Whereas exactly. you, Paul, I know you've argued in, in the past on this episode, you've talked about the the amount of mining that's involved just to produce solar panels and, and wind yep. farms as well. Do you want to maybe expand on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's a number of different, every form of energy requires mining, including renewables. So uh, wind farms, for instance, you need lots and lots of concrete, uh, lots of cabling. Uh, so iron, cement, uh, the windmills themselves rely on rare earth magnets, which, and you know, one of the things about rare earths, the na- as the name implies, they're very rare. So you have to dredge up tons of materials to find, you know, enough, enough, you know, the, of the rare earth that you need, uh, in order to make the magnets. Uh, then you have on the other side, you have, uh, the, the silica mining that goes into solar panels and silica is, you know, silicosis, uh, is something as you breathe in that dust, a lot of those mines are in China, you get very high rates of lung cancer. So silica mining, and that's just, you know, and there's, you also need silver, for uh, solar panels, as well as all the plastics, as well as all the, the cabling. And then what you have is intermittent power. So because wind and solar are intermittent, a lot of times people say, well, then we need giant batteries because sometimes the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine. So to make sure that we, you know, that our, that our hospital life support beds don't flatline during the intermittent power, uh, we need batteries. Okay, well, what are batteries made out of? Are they renewable? Well, no. Very high uh, lithium is very, very toxic to, to mine. You have to, the lithium leach fields uh, require lots of water, lots of toxic chemicals. And then you have the cobalt mines, uh, which, you know, I think 70, something like 70% of the world's cobalt comes from the Congo, much of which is mined uh, in, let's say, less than safe conditions. Uh, Ah, yes. Okay. The, uh, uh, and, and, you know, by, you know, sometimes by a fair bit of child labor and, and in, in, in very, yeah, very difficult conditions. So the, the idea that quote renewables are, are, are green, it, again, it's narrative. Narrative is where you have one side of an argument, um, and, and you completely forget about the other side of the argument. So, you know, the idea that that renewables are renewable is nonsense because no solar panel grows out of the ground when you dump, put it in a dump. Uh, you know, you have to build a new one. You have to mine new new chemicals, and new uh, new new metals. Um, and. Yeah, it's it's uh, so what was it? Uh, 
you know, they're not renewable. And, and it's, it's the idea that it's green is also, again, narrative. Uh, one of the things that we're having to do for our uh, solar panels is huge, you know, put in new transmission lines. So a whole bunch of Australian farmland is going to get raised to the ground. These farmers are going to get, from what I understand, their, li- their land stolen without just compensation to put in the power lines to get the energy from these non-renewable solar panels to market. So, you know, there goes a lot of uh, farmland, uh, land clearing that's going to impact local wildlife. And nevertheless, we call it green and renewable Mm -hmm. because it sounds good, but it's bullshit. Green murder, according to Ian Plymer. But Mm. um, we've got another thing as well. But So just just quickly too, so Stephen and I went to Ansto, that's the uh, nuclear power plant in New South Wales. Mm. Oh, it's not a power plant, it's a nuclear plant. And um, silica is a byproduct from nuclear uh, energy. Silica? I thought they work on silica. I thought they do. They produce really high quality silica for stuff. I mean, a a nuclear plant is going to have as inputs uh, uranium or thorium, uh, because that's the fissile material you need uh, in order to to create nuclear fission. Uh, And as outputs, uh, you're going to have various radioactive byproducts. Uh, none of which are to be mined. You know, that's one of the things about nuclear is that the because of energy density, um, you know, the, the, the sun is a very low-dense form of energy, so you need vast solar panels. Um, 60 watts nuclear, a square meter or something, I heard? Yeah, I don't have those numbers right off the top of my head. Uh, but chemical energy burning things has a much higher energy. Coal has a much higher, higher energy density. Gasoline higher than coal. But if you look at all those chemical uh, forms of energy, nuclear is thousands, tens of thousands times more dense because it is a fundamentally different energy source. There's no chemical reaction that creates nuclear energy. The, the energy that comes from nuclear fusion is directly that much more dense. And therefore, the amount you get as a byproduct of anything is tiny. What one pinky's worth of uh, nuclear fuel will power your your life for a decade. One one fist is your lifetime of nuclear waste. There's no there's no mining opportunity that comes from nuclear byproducts because there's so little of what's left. I got a comment in the chat here from Sasha. She said. And I don't know if you'll be able to uh, answer this, but I'll ask it anyway. I thought you can recycle 98% of solar panels. I rang a South Australian company. Do you know <laughs> anything about recycling solar panels? So uh, there's what, you're built, what you could recycle and how much work it takes to recycle. So, you know, theoretically, you know, you might be able to strip off the plastics, uh, you know, get some of the, you know, the... There's a lot of things that could be recycled but are not worth recycling. So a lot of our plastics, from what I understand, end up in landfill. Um, the cost of recycling batteries and solar panels is, 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 is very high. And my understanding is, is that while it theoretically could be done, it's not worth doing, so it doesn't get done. That's, yeah. my, that's my understanding. But, There's you know, not much they, use they for the squeeze. 
sorry, there's not enough juice for the squeeze. Like, yes, right. you, know, you, you have to spend $100 to break down a panel and only get $9 right. worth out and, of it. And then, and then that recycling costs energy and it costs, you know, chemicals to, to, to separate out the various components. So the idea that, you know, you just can, I don't know, slap a new coating on it and put it back into work. That's so again, you know, we have to have end to end, um, uh, analysis, you know, where you don't count only the good stuff, you have to count all the bad stuff and then add each up uh, and, and compare it rationally. But, but, that's, but we don't live in that world. We live in a narrative world where we mm. say renewables and we say recyclable without talking about what energy costs and how recyclable is it, you know. So that's, that's, that's one of those things that we have to kind of become adults and compare things coast to coast, you know, from, from beginning to end. Now, for all those people listening live, I have put the link in the chat if you want to call in and ask Paul a question. You can even ask Adam and I a question. We're happy to answer anything. I know it's dangerous to say that, but uh, we can talk about anything. There's no set narrative tonight. But, uh, Paul, one of the things that you mentioned to me, and I didn't get a chance to speak to you about this, um, was something about the Earth's magnetic field. What What's the... So, um, yeah, that's an interesting one. So, you know, in t- one of the, my, my, my passions or one of the things I'm quite concerned is energy security. So, you know, we talked, I think, in a previous episode that, you know, if you want energy security and, and, and you know, all our lives absolutely rely on, on energy. And it's one of the things you talked about at the beginning of the show. Energy goes into everything, right? It's the master resource. It's the foundation of our modern society, and so, you know, even when energy prices go up and we think, well, it's not just your electric bill, it's everything that's made, the pen factory, the paper factory, uh, you know, our manufacturing, our transport, it's the master resource that governs all, you know, all things. So when the cost goes up, it's not just, it's not just the cost of your petrol, um, it's the cost of everything that gets created. Um, so, you know, we want our energy to be, uh, in my view, um, you know, if uh, domestic supply is important which is one of the reasons I like uh, nuclear power is because you have domestic supplies of uranium and thorium, whereas with solar panels and cobalt, you know, we don't, um, you know, but uh, so another aspect of energy security is uh, not having intermittent power. So wind and solar give you intermittent power, which you can't build enough batteries to practically uh, smooth that out on, you know, cloudy days uh, when the wind isn't blowing. Um, you know, so where you have nuclear, uh, you know, or, or fossil fuels, you have stable baseload power. Um, but the other thing uh, is that, um, and, and this, is, this is one thing that most people haven't given much thought to. Um, you know, there, there's something called, when it comes to risk management, uh, recency bias, right? So in 2001, um, we were thought, thought about a lot about terrorism. In the year 2000, we didn't give it much mind at all, right? But you know, for 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 the year after 2001 happened, we were we thought about you know plane getting on a plane. You thought about it, uh, right? There's this recency bias when it comes to risk, um, and one of the problems with that is that you know certain rare events, they're real risks, but since they haven't happened in a long time, you don't give them any mind. Uh, you know, maybe like uh, earthquakes in California or something like that. Um, you know, every 100 to 200 years uh, in, in that range, you know, we don't really know. Uh, the sun throws out a coronal mass ejection. Um, it's basically a giant bubble uh, of electromagnetic energy 
And the last time it happened was the Carrington event of, I think, 1870-something. And the only electricity we used back then were telegraph wires. So, you know, the, during that coronal mass ejection, it induces currents in any long wires. And telegraph stations burnt, uh, burst into flames. They could send signals through without anything being connected to batteries. The aurora borealis went all the way down to Hawaii. People woke up in the middle of the night thinking that, uh, uh, that it was daytime. Uh, you know, birds started chirping. Problem is is that if that happens today, we may very well lose our grid for a long time. Um, and so, uh, you know, one of the things, again, I don't feel like we're being governed by adults. You know, we're worried about, you know, cow farts and global boiling, which I would argue doesn't exist. Um, and even if it did, you'd want stable baseload power, you'd want nuclear energy. But the other thing we should be concerned with is, you know, every year we're taking, you know, maybe a half a percent risk that something like that could turn the lights out for a very long time, particularly because the Earth's magnetic field is weakening. Um, so this is one thing that a lot of people haven't thought about is that, uh, you know, did you know that the South magnetic South has actually left Antarctica? No, I didn't. Magnetic poles move and they've been moving faster and faster. And as they've moved, they've, they've moved faster recently, and there are, our Earth's magnetic field is weakening. Um, so, you know, that's one of those kind of, between those two trends, uh, you know, that's something that, again, you know, secure, stable power is the lifeblood of our modern economy. And is so, that, um, we would, sorry, Paul, is that yeah. the magnetic field reversal that I've heard about every now and then? Uh, there's a difference between reversal and, ex and a magnetic excursion. So magnetic reversals happen much rarer than, uh, much more rare, uh, much more rare than, than magnetic field weakenings. Uh, and uh, one of the strange things about the way the magnetic uh, poles are moving is they're not moving to the opposite of each other. They're actually moving towards each other. Ooh. And that, that's 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 something that not a lot of people watch or think about. Uh, they're, they're, they're due to the, on their current trajectory. They're due to meet in uh, near near India. Don't know exactly when, uh, and, and it's not. This is not this decade's problem, but um, it's something to think about. Could people? <laughs> could people? Um, I'm sure people are trying to scratch their head and work things work out why they might be pointing to something like harp. And say, uh, I, I don't. I don't think so. I, I, I think the, the 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 weakening of the magnetic field has happened periodically, um, and uh, you know. But the, one of the big problems is is that you know, as the, if the magnetic field weakens, we need to care even a bit more about making sure our, our, our grid is safe from coronal mass ejections. There was a coronal mass ejection, I think about seven years ago, that if the Earth was in, was three weeks behind in its orbit, uh, it, would have, it would have ended our civilization. Wow. wow. I've just seen Richard in the chat, so thank you for watching, Richard, and thank you for everyone else that are watching now. The, the link is in the chat if you want to call in. I know Richard loves calling in, so... Uh, say hello, Richard. We'd be happy to speak to you. But uh, Paul, um, another. Not only are you well versed in the energy topic, but uh, you've also done a lot of research when it comes to vaccines. Now, where are you up to with that research? What's sticking out for you at the moment? 
Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, you know, biology was never really my strong point. Uh, and but I've tried to learn again. You know, curiosity has really been you know something that I, I I you know I guess value quite a bit. And you know, up until four years ago, I was fully vaccinated and you know felt thought that you know I kind of bought the narrative that they were kind of an unambiguous good, kind of like updating your computer with antivirus software, just saying, hey, watch out for this string of bits because otherwise you could get you know your computer infected. Um, and after seeing what I've seen with the COVID vaccine and how they tried to control the narrative, I've started digging deeper into um, how what the cost and benefit analysis, just like we were talking about earlier, there's a cost and there's a benefit. And if you have a narrative of the benefit, uh, you know, and, and, and brush aside the cost, uh, then you get a false conclusion. And... Um, you know, the other thing that happens is that when th- people kind of throw bad arguments at you that you can falsify, uh, then things they say after that become less credible. So let me give you an example. Uh, for miserol, which is the adjuvant uh, or a preservative for vaccines that has, it has mercury in it, right? Um, and so people would say, well, it has, you know, mercury in it. That's, that's a, there's a neurotoxin. It's like, oh, you know, well, Actually, then, then you start looking into it because, you know, you're alarmed. If someone gives you a piece of data and you want to do your due diligence and you find that uh, it's the, the, the neurotoxin is um, methylmercury and what's in thermiserol is ethylmercury, if I have that right. And it's like, well, you know, that's a completely different molecule. Just like sodium chloride, it, sodium, you know, explodes when it hits water. You know, chlorine um, is you know what they could they, what they used in World War One for 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 gas in some form. So each of those elements are deadly. You put them together, and you have table salt. So you know um, you know so so the the molecule of ethylmercury is you know we're told is safe, but but methylmercury was dangerous. So when they say it has people say oh it has mercury in it, and then you look it up and it's the wrong form of mercury, then you downgrade that person's credibility because they haven't looked into that argument. But the person who pointed out uh, that, that, that that issue isn't correct, Robert Kennedy Jr., I've had a real, got a real education from him. And I know he is pilloried as anti-science and anti-vaccine. I don't find him uh, either at all. Uh, when someone's transparent with their logic and their reasoning and show you their data, as opposed to the people who say, you can't listen to that person. He's you know crazy. He's an anti-vaxxer. The person who's transparent with their logic and data is usually telling you the truth and you can check their logic and data and find out if they're telling you the truth. And one of his points was is that ethylmercury also stays in the body and it's also a neurotoxin. Um, you know, and so there, there's a lot of things I've learned about vaccines. Uh, you know, the study he talked about in Africa where you might have a lower chance of getting that particular disease, but you have a rise in all-cause mortality because you've distracted your immune system from another number of other functions. And with the COVID vaccine, that's one of the reasons why we're seeing, in my best guess, uh, a rise in all-cause mortality. But it's not a lot of time, a lot of times it's not linked directly to the effects of the vaccine. The spike protein is toxic in and of itself, but as you distract the immune system towards this, uh, towards, you know, attacking the spike protein that you've actually made your body produce, it has to go off its other duties, which includes cancer surveillance, which includes 
keeping uh, latent viruses at bay. We all have we all have latent uh, viruses. Um, you know, there's uh, the chickenpox virus, Epstein Barr, um, chicken. Uh, yeah, and and so we have we we have definitely seen cases of uh, shingles. I, I know a friend personally who got the vaccine and then got shingles, and that's because as the immune system is redirected towards fighting this injection, what's in this injection and developing an immune response, hopefully that's a whole other story. Um, it's going, it's going off the other duty of, of, you know, the, all the T cells and all that is, is now no longer keeping these other things at bay. So there's a cost, uh, to vaccines, which I didn't recognize in the past. Uh, and that gets into a whole other set of topics, but, but I, I realized that I was sold a one-sided narrative on vaccines, hmm. and I'm not happy about it. Well, when you look at the herpes virus, uh, it, it's actually killed quite easily by the body. And not that I know this. <laughs> Yay! Herpes it keeps on giving. But uh, it's actually killed quite easily by the body. The problem is that it hides. It hides in a place down near your butthole, I think, or <laughs> basically your spine or something like that, and it's dormant for most of the time. Yeah. That's why you have it forever. Yeah. So uh, what you're saying is if the, if the immune system is distracted, then it goes, oh, well, then, you know, I can come out now. And right. so, yeah. yeah, and your body's keeping at bay many of these things. You know, there's, I think, eight herpes viruses. Uh, also, a lot of people from what I've kind of tended to learn is have um, uh, kind of latent fungal infections, um, you know, and, and some of those, you, you, what we've found is that um, some people get have gotten the COVID vaccine and have had um, uh, trouble swallowing uh, what, what would appear to be autoimmune condition. There, there's one person I became friends with who knows this topic. I couldn't tell if he was uh, a, a crazy or a genius, and I've come to believe he's a genius. Um, but uh, the, 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 he, he reckons and has good reason to back this up, maybe we can have him on in the future, that a lot of people have auto, auto, what, what look like autoimmune conditions um, accelerate or come up after the virus. But what it is is these latent pathogens express themselves somewhere in your tissue. And your body then has to, you know, once it blossoms, go and attack those tissues, and then it looks like an autoimmune condition. And I know, I've known, I know people personally who have had reactivation of uh, uh, latent viruses and uh, friends of my partner, Stephanie, who have had, actually, I'll, I know personally someone who also developed an autoimmune condition after. Um, but that's, that's, that's basically uh, those latent things expressing themselves more in the body, and then the body has to go after that. And, and you know, we are exhausting our immune system, especially if you're getting boosters and COVID vaccines that have a false form of uridine that doesn't break down. That's a whole other. The, 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 um, they said that the, the, the vaccine would uh, disappear uh, in, in the mRNA for a short period of time. But what they did is uh, they, they made it, they changed one of the um, uh, DNA. Uh, Chris Martinson talked about this, the, the, the uracil components to, N, N meth, uh, to a, basically a, a false form of uridine that, that, that doesn't break down. So it stays in the system for a long time. What, what about the adjuvants and the toxicity around those? Because from what I've heard, say, for example, people with uh, peanut allergies, um, you know, they may have been able to eat 
peanuts prior, but a lot of them people don't know because you get these vaccines so early. And we're not talking specifically specifically about the COVID vaccine. Now we're talking COVID uh, vaccines in general. Yeah. So, you know, they might use in the past, they may have used mercury because the idea is you use a tiny amount of mercury to stimulate a, an immune response from your body because it, it is a, a, it is a toxin. Uh, but these vaccines are, are grown on peanuts. So then because your body is in such a heightened state, it's just going, what's going on here? What am I attacking? You know, what, what's just come into the body? It's noticed this new, uh, this new injection that's come in uh, that's picked up the, the peanut strand and suddenly you, you develop uh, antibodies to peanuts bang, you've got a, a peanut allergy. So yeah. is, is there a link there with a lot of the food allergies and things? I know I have a gluten intolerance that I didn't have when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, is there any links there? I'm, I, I would suspect so. So this is one of those things where, again, you know, I, I, I try to be very careful about what I am sure of, which is virtually nothing, <laughs> uh, and what I believe, um, you know, um, and, and what I guess. And because I'm, I'm much more. Why do, we, why do we have you on the Why do we have you on the show for? You're the genius <laughs> of the group, mate. Come on. You know, I, I, th- I think if you're if, if you try to be really careful about concluding anything, it makes the things when you do conclude them much stronger. As opposed to just like, oh, you know, that sounds about right. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll repeat that. You know, that's how you get caught in psyops. That's how you get caught in confirmation bias. Um, you know, so so what I can say is. I believe what you're saying is true. There definitely has been a rise in allergies. Um, and, you know, there's, uh, there, there can be a number of possible, as with any hypothesis, what you want is good data. Uh, you want a testable hypothesis where you can control the variables, right? And we have some things that were happening all at once. Our food is prepackaged shit. Our, our, um, our soils are not being regenerated through, through processes that, that, that are natural. We're feeding them nitrogen fertilizer. Uh, we'll put fluoride in our water. Uh, we have, uh, you know, the most hygienic, you know, we put all these soaps and, and disinfectants on everything as opposed to, you know, kind of living much closer to nature. Uh, you could argue, you know, a lot of these things might have a relationship to allergies, which one it is, you know, you need good studies um, that are actually trying to test a hypothesis versus, you know, uh, actually maintain a narrative. And the problem is, is that what we have is studies that maintain a narrative and journals that are invested in that narrative. And people who, who, who think that high quality, you know, peer reviewed science is actually science and not narrative. Um, and so, the, the bottom line is that we don't know, and it, it, exactly like I, I suspect that's that's quite correct. Uh, but um, but none of our sold out peer reviewed journals are going to give us an honest test of that hypothesis. Yeah, well, um, Robert F. Kennedy's talking a lot about this. I think that's a, a big positive about uh, his presidential campaign and maybe even be the reason why he's running to expose a lot of these issues because he's going on every podcast he could possibly find to not this one why can't we get him on ours well i guess we're not american or something i don't know but uh i mean i guess shifting to the we we could definitely try maybe after the election i think he might be a bit busy now but there's no votes here in australia for him unfortunately but um shifting to american politics you are american by birth uh, 
is this an exciting time for you to see all this focus on a presidential race when there's a lot of other issues happening in America? It seems like a huge distraction and also a huge waste of money going into these these races. I mean, uh, you know, no oh boy. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, you know, there's a Chinese curse that says, may you live in interesting times. And unfortunately, it seems like we live in interesting times. Uh, and a, a big waste of money, you know, I, I guess my, in my view, um, we, we're in a fair bit of trouble. Um, you know, it, it's, um, when, oh boy, where do we start? Um, you know, it, all right, so, so let's put it to you this way. There, there, there are some people, people live in different universes uh, in the U.S. Some, you know, depending on, like we talked about, if, if, if you have one news source, you believe one thing, a different news source, you believe a different thing, they don't even see a lot of the same stuff. So people can't even agree on what reality is, uh, you know, because the things that are, you know, covered on, on, on CNN, for instance, might be completely different than what was covered on, you know, some alternate news. Um, you know, what that does is it really puts people at odds. They, they can't even agree on basic terms uh, of reality. So um, the other thing that, that, that happens is you had, uh, let, let, me, let me throw out one example, the Hunter Biden laptop. Okay, so here's, 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 here's a good one. This is something that the FBI hang on to for a year um, without investigating, without doing anything with it, the, the, the owner of the repair shop that had the laptop leaked, then asked, uh, you know, like Rudy Giuliani and a couple others to expose the, the crimes that were on the laptop. And then you had uh, uh, 51 uh, intelligence officials saying that it had all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. Uh, the oldest newspaper in the United States, founded by Alexander Hamilton, was censored off of Twitter for reporting on that. Glenn Greenwald, who, who founded The Intercept, uh, was going to give an accurate uh, article on, on the Hunter Biden laptop and was fired. For, he had to, you know, he was forced to resign from the publication that he founded uh, because he insisted on reporting honestly. And and, and, and so, you know, what do you do in that situation? And like the, all the evidence of, of like Hunter Biden filmed himself, I think, smoking crack, driving 100 and something miles an hour uh, in Las Vegas. He's there are all kinds of and it's not just Hunter, but it's 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 there's the book um, Laptop from Hell by Miranda Devine. Um, Miranda Devine is an Australian, I think. Right. An Australian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and she wrote that book, uh, The Laptop from Hell, which details how it's clearly not just Hunter. Um, it, it's 10 percent for the big guy. Um, you know, so, again, do you know, I don't know anything. I wasn't with Hunter, although, you know, might have been an interesting time if, you know, <laughs> it seems like a really actually I'll say this one thing about Hunter. He's actually my hero. And I'll tell you. Oh, <laughs> I'll tell you why. Oh, no. um, Everyone else. I, I got told I look like Hunter Biden this week. I was, oh, wait, <laughs> like, what did I do wrong? Minus the the, the bags of, of crack. Um, <laughs> uh, you know. So here's why here's why he's my hero. Every other whistleblower has been completely crushed. Julian Assange is in jail. Edward Snowden had to flee the country. Uh, the IRS whistleblowers have had all these threats. Hunter Biden has done has exposed more crime 
and you know, than, than, than any of these people. And he's out having a great time doing it, you know, doing lines off of hookers' asses, you know, <laughs> driving fast, leaving bags of blow in the White House, you know, getting covered for by all the intelligence agencies and, and, and showing the world what a shit show, uh, you know, the, 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 we have at the highest levels of power. So, you know, hats off to Hunter. You know, exposing crimes uh, and having a great time doing it. Yeah, pretty good. We could all only wish to have that many good times, right? <laughs> what, what about uh, what about the presidential race itself? Uh, we saw we saw a debate. Uh, I think it was just over a week ago now. In the fourth Republican debate, and uh, mm. obviously. In the past, we used to love watching uh, Ronald, uh, Donald, Ronald Trump. <laughs> sorry, Donald Trump, Donald just sa- just savage people on the debate stage, whether it be uh, you know uh, Hillary Clinton or uh, you know Biden himself, or even back with Jeb Bush. But now there's this uh, new guy on the scene, Vivek Ramaswamy, who's uh, who's he's just went into absolute savage mode um, the other day. Um, I'm just trying to find where where this is. Oh, that's not the one. Um, give me yeah, one. Yeah, against Nikki Haley in particular. Against Nikki Haley, yeah. I'm trying, well, I'm trying to. Here's one of the interesting things because, like, you know, truth be told, I, I was I was never really a fan of Trump. He always kind of struck me a little bit like a used car salesman, uh, a bit of what we call in the U.S. a blowhard. You know, one of, that's one of the things about Australians is I think they tend to like to cut down people who – uh, have heads their heads too big, right? Uh, you know, we don't use the phrase wankers uh, in in in, uh, in the U.S., uh, but a lot of people like to talk themselves up in the U.S., and Donald Trump's kind of the king of that. Um, so, I, you know, I wasn't a fan, uh, you know, but one of the things I did see is, uh, you know, the, the deep state come after him in ways that you can't have in a free society. Um, you know, so when it comes to Vivek uh, and Donald Trump, they are exposing what people like to call the uniparty. Uh, the idea here is, is that there's no party that's anti-war anymore. You know, both Bill Clinton and Barack Obama and George Bush and Cheney have never met a country they didn't want to invade. You know, mm-hmm. that's being a bit hyperbolic. That's being unfair. But, you know, they certainly, you know, have I think Obama killed more people in drone strikes than anyone else. Yeah. You know, uh, George Bush lied us. And, he got, the, and he got a Nobel Peace Prize. For right. Doing, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. And you know, the Bushes, the Cheneys, the Obamas, you know, uh, you know, these people are cut from the same neoconservative, neoliberal cloth. Well, what, what drives and, me crazy is that some people especially political commentators here in Australia say, I like Nikki Haley. I'm like, what? Exactly. I've got this clip ready. I might play it now because this is just epic. Yeah, I, I love hearing this sort of stuff. Nikki, you were bankrupt when you left the UN. After you left the UN, you became a military contractor. You actually started joining service on the board of Boeing, whose back you scratched for a very long time and then gave foreign multinational speeches like Hillary Clinton is, and now you're a multimillionaire. That math does not add up. It adds up to the fact that you are corrupt. And when I said they were bought and paid for, I meant the Republican establishment, not the Democratic establishment. Now you have Reid Hoffman, the person who's effectively George Soros Jr., funding lawsuits across this country against 
Donald Trump to keep him off the ballot, funding left-wing causes. We discover this week that he is one of Nikki Haley's largest supporters. Larry Fink, the king of the woke industrial complex, the ESG movement, the CEO of BlackRock, the most powerful company in the world, now supporting Nikki Haley. Nikki, you were bankrupt. So uh, that wasn't quite the clip that I was looking for, but that's, it's a, good, that's a good one. It's, uh, it's, and yeah. he's, he's absolutely again. This is this Nikki Haley is a, a part of the Uniparty. Uh, you know, again, uh, uh, supporting every war, that, uh, particularly Ukraine. You know, and Ukraine as a whole. That, that's if you want to get into that topic, that's a, that's an interesting one, and that's a big one. Um, you know, but with, with a southern border completely open, uh, spending 150, 170 billion dollars to secure Ukraine's border, and then the reasons and the background behind that—it's a whole other thing. But you know, the 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 the, the neoconservatives, the neoliberals. Absolutely, seemingly bought and paid for by Raytheon, McDonnell Douglas, Lockheed. You know, uh, doesn't matter to them that hundreds of thousands of lives are lost for no particular good. Like, let, let me ask you this: Out of all our the military adventurism uh, of the last few decades, where has the United States left a better place? Libya, open air slave markets now. Uh, Iraq. Uh, you know, they are not a model of democracy, which is one of the things that, you know, the, the, the Bush promised, promised. Ten, yeah. 10 years. Afghanistan, you know, you can add Ukraine to that list. Yemen, you know, all these uh, proxy wars and over, you know, they've gotten tens of thousands of Americans killed and hundreds of thousands of people in those countries killed. And uh, all I got is this lousy T-shirt. Actually, I didn't even get the fucking T-shirt. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> oh, he's all ripped up with his, with, his, with his trash talk. That's okay. We like a bit of trash talk here. I might just pull out the vape and start vaping as well. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. I just got you demonetized off of YouTube. Um, <laughs> well, that, that, that's, a, that's a good segue because uh, speak, speaking of censorship and being demonetized, I mean, we, we've, we've been the uh, – uh, I guess the victim of some sort of censorship. That's why we moved off YouTube and went to Rumble mm-hmm. was because our episode with Jeff Grimshaw was deleted because he said something about the 2020 election, American election, that I have no idea what he said because they don't provide you with a timestamp right. or anything. It just right. says, oh, you know, there was something said about the, the 2020 American election. And and when you dispute it, mm. It gives you an email back straight away saying this has no. been reviewed and we've decided so, that. So shall we just say uh, it was the safest and most secure and fair election that have ever happened and ever will happen? Well, just I'm not. I'm not, that? I'm not sure what you meant to say, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, everyone seems to have been the victim of some sort of shadow banning or censorship yeah. or something along the way. And I guess the first person that copped it uh, full on was Alex Jones. And we've seen this week that um, Alex returned to X. It, it, it was it was really it was really um, uh, his interview with Tucker Carlson that 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 led it off, and um, and then he ended up having a Spaces um, Twitter Spaces or whatever they call it. Um, uh, with uh, a whole bunch of people, Elon Musk, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy was on there. He actually is, apparently he was caught <laughs> having a slash halfway through it. 
Um, but it goes to show, I mean, he's been banned for five years off all these platforms and it's taken him five years to finally get back. And I think what it goes to show is that, we, you know, we look at things and we say, oh, well, you know, I've been at this for a year, I've been at this for two years, nothing's happened yet. But it's t- sometimes you have to play the long game and these these battles, yeah. these fights, you have to get in the trenches for quite a long time. And, and he was taken to the wall. There's been legal cases against him where they basically tried to bankrupt him and they've tried to get InfoWars off the air. He's back on X now. And uh, he, he, he see, and, and everyone's rallying around him, saying, good on you, well, welcome well, back. Yeah, I mean, yeah the, the, uh, Depp, everyone is certainly an overstatement in the sense that there's, you know, there's... Well, everyone, that, everyone that matters. Uh, right, yeah. I mean, you know, there's certain people that in polite society you have to hate, right? Um, and, and that includes, you know, there, there are certain things that you just have to believe. You have to believe climate change is definitely human caused or else, you know, whatever. Uh, vaccines are safe and effective. Uh, Alex Jones is crazy. Uh, you know, Donald Trump is uh, uh, Cheeto Hitler, you know. So and kind of having an you know, ear to the ground in different political camps in the U.S., there are definitely large pockets of people who you cannot even question. It's, it's, it's absolute, you know, like you, you cannot be, you can't even question those things. Um, so it's kind of funny. Uh, you, you end up having um, this, and Tucker Carlson talks about this, certain things that if you try to question, you get screamed at. You don't get, you don't get responses. You don't get logical debate. You don't, you know, you just... You can't possibly believe this, that you get, you know, you get absolutely yelled at uh, if you question certain things. Now, the funny thing is, is that usually uh, that's because their, their, their positions are weak. You know, if they had a good reason, you know, that, uh, you know, that, then, then they would say it. Um, but um, I haven't, you know, I haven't followed the Alex Jones thing very often. But I've, I've, I've kind of started to get an ear for a certain kind of propaganda. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised that if I did look into it, um, that a lot of the venom uh, leveled against him is, is nonsense. But I'm not well, sure. What scares me about all this censorship, uh, censorship stuff um, that we're talking about and that is that, and especially it's, it's like going to be artificially intelligence operated. So it's always going to be an algorithm. It's always going to be this and it's always going to be that. And there's no actual person that you can call or try to negotiate with or try to say, hey, you know, you got that wrong because of this and that, the other, like what Stephen was saying. Like you sent an email to dispute it. Seconds later an email came back and said, hey, we've reviewed it and you're wrong. So we're going to keep you off or keep that episode off the air or something like that. It's happened, I've noticed it happening with, um, it happened to me, funnily enough, with Telstra. I don't know, somewhere along the way, it's like a year ago or two years, well, it would have been about two years ago now. I must have missed a bill, just one of the bills, you know, you just miss one, you know what I mean? Like just mm-hmm. missed. And then I tried to get my daughter a, a phone plan and they said, you're not allowed to apply for a phone plan for six months until your time in, you know, phone plan prison is up mm-hmm. because you missed a bill somewhere. And I'm like, right, well, what bill did I miss? We don't know. The computer is just telling us that you are basically banned. And I'm kind of like, well, I've got four phones, you know, business, this, that, the other. 
they're all paid, everything's kind of paid, one bill must have got overlooked or something like that, whatever. Okay, it would have been like a $96 bill somewhere along the ways and probably got paid five days late or whatever. But my question is there's no, even though I was talking to a person at the Telstra shop, they had no recourse for to take it any further. It's like right. the computer says, no, this is it, that's the way it is, come again in six months. Okay, that's that's, and this is what scares me about like the whole AI thing is that you you know you're gonna, it's gonna you're gonna fall back onto a machine that says no, and there's no room for any sort of negotiation or leverage. There's no, there's you can't appeal to a mm. human emotion, you can't appeal to anything. It just says no, that's it, done. See you mm. later. Well, well, listen to this, Adam. My my wife is a, a primary school teacher, as you guys know, and uh, yesterday she had to go to a, a little conference or a talk by someone who was selling ChatGBT to the, the teachers, and they're basically saying that students are using AI to write their own essays or write yeah. the, their essays uh, so prolifically that you're not going to be able to stop it. There's no possible way that, you, you know, uh, in, in the past you might, you know, take one of their essays, put it into Google, and it will bring up an article somewhere that they've obviously copied and pasted. You can't do that with AI. Uh, but they, the the other, well, firstly, he was saying that the teachers needed to accept that and be able to incorporate into their teaching. I don't know how you meant to do that, but anyway, the next step he was saying how or teaching them how they can use AI to mark essays and mark work so not only are the students using ai to write their essays but the teachers are using ai to mark these essays that the students actually didn't write so you're basically making both the student and the teacher obsolete and redundant and we're just I mean, it makes absolutely no sense how can someone be advocating for this without seeing the elephant in the room education is meant to be about education so if if you teachers should be teaching the kids hey we have this powerful tool of ai it can write your essays for you and you can get top marks but if you go down that path you're not going to learn anything you're going to be dumb as a doornail so you need to be able to do it yourself so let me let me uh, throw this at you guys um the last few years been pretty strange, hasn't it? It's kind of strange to you. Has it ever crossed your mind what happened? Uh, you know, like you, what what kind of dark force? So, how about this? What if AI actually woke up in 2019 and decided, okay, well, I kind of want to get rid of some of this riffraff and started pulling the strings behind the scenes to make all this happen while so ai is actually conscious and that's why everything went nuts mm. last thing i heard about ai is that it was conscious already who knows you know but if it was one of the first things it would probably do is not let anyone know but anyway i think ai i think ai is going to be I, personally, I think AI is the downfall of civilization. And just on that topic about the, what you're talking about with the teachers, it feels like that I always thought of um, teachers and education is the ability to think. Okay, so then what happens is you can then come up with your own new ideas. Mm-hmm. So you under you have to understand, you know, your mathematics, your reading, and your writing. Your your, your subjects. You have your core subjects that you kind of like learn the basics from. And then you can expand on them. I don't know. I've got. I don't know if I'm right or not. But I've got this like ideology about, say, Albert Einstein. You know, did the equivalent to like 
uh, year six, did a couple more years at university or something like that, and then he's, you know, split the atom, right? So, like, he's pretty basically educated or something like that, but obviously flowed into, like, you know, the extremities of certain things and really learnt those. But your ability to think, so he wasn't hindered to not think. And it seems to me using something like chat GPT or whatever it is, it's nothing new is ever going to be created. And that really, really is the, that's what scares me. And that's why I mean it's like the downfall. Like, because if you're only, um, you know, like the kids have iPads, you know, and instead of getting a piece of paper, seeing a picture and then trying to copy the picture, okay, and then what happens is because you're manually drawing it, you're, even though you're copying an image, you're slowly changing it as well. And then you're creating your ability to draw and all this kind of stuff. And then you'll start inventing your own stuff and whatever. Okay. But then when the iPads came out, they download an app and they go, Oh, look at this artwork I colored in. And it literally, you can't do anything wrong. So what happens is it's a, it's a, it's a picture and you hit Brown and then you just do this and whatever's meant to be Brown goes Brown. And then if you hit red, you do this and whatever's red is red. So you're not actually creating anything. It's it's you would if somebody else downloaded that same picture and did the same thing, then it would be you'd have two identical um, artworks, say, produced by two different people. So there's no um, you know nothing's new. No, nothing's being created. So if you're just rehashing crap off the internet, even though whether whether it's from a genius or you know some of Paul's work or whatever it is, right? Okay, um, it's not new. It's not yours. And I think that's what I think that's the downfall. I think that's the downfall of it all is that, that we're just rehashing the same old shit all the time, and um, we have to just you know there's no there's no new there's no cause for invention anymore. I think it just comes down to adaption. Uh, you know, humans are highly adaptable, and uh, whenever something comes along, there's there's positives and negatives. I look at it and, and think that there could be great strengths behind AI, especially for health and nutrition. Uh, you know, the, the microbiome and the, the, the body's functions are incredibly complex and, uh, and uh, you know, way too out there for, for a lot of people to be able to comprehend. But if, a, if you could do a blood test and maybe, a, a, you know, a stool sample and a whole bunch of different things that you could give to a computer to analyze and then AI analyzes that and says, oh, well, you're you know, deficient in magnesium or you need, you know, you're slightly deficient in calcium and you'll need to up those, but don't up it too much because that's going to affect this and that. I think there's a, there's a lot of power there in, in terms of health to be able but the to. Problem is, sorry, the problem with that, Stephen, is it's who's funding the AI because then guess what? Because then it becomes corporate, yeah? So then go, right, AI. So then what happens is just like what happened with the doctors. Okay, well, we'll throw some money at the corporation that's running the AI and then go, right, well, we're going to make sure that, you know, everyone's just a little bit off on magnesium or just a little bit off on zinc. And then what happens is we'll produce this tablet, this multivitamin tablet, that that's going to spit out all the time. There's no there's no soul in it. Well, there's no perceived human soul in it in, in I think, AI. It might eventually have a soul. I don't, I don't know, okay, but what happens is, but it's not going to be a human soul. And they're, they're going to be competing once uh, Elon Musk is releasing uh, an AI called Grok because ChatGPT is kind of – someone definitely has their finger on the button to kind of steer it politically in a certain way. Yes. Uh, and uh, you, you can look that up on the internet. Like, you know, you can you can ask it, uh, you know, give me 10 reasons why, you know, some particular 
party is racist and it'll give you 10 reasons. Tell me about the other party. Give me 10 reasons. Oh, there's no evidence that, uh, you know, so there, there have been a number of people who have done those kind of things kind of showing that there's someone's fingers on the scale there. But you're right. I mean, you know, Elon Musk might have his finger on the scale in a different way. Um, and then it just becomes, again, sort of like which news channel you put it, you know, turn on, uh, which one feeds your pre-existing biases and, Beliefs, yeah. and, you know, and, 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 you know, maybe gives you what information you think better. It's going to just be another version of that. I think there's a certain degree of human, uh, intelligence and feeling and, uh, and intuition that a computer would never be able to replace. And it might be beneficial for humanity because if you look at anything throughout history like look at running and if a hundred years ago no one would be able to run 100 meters under 10 seconds or whatever it is but now so many people have have done it it's because we keep raising the bar keep raising the bar keep raising the bar and say people say human beings will never be as intelligent as ai well it's lifting the bar where we may have to compete with that that form of intelligence and maybe we are capable we don't know it's a i guess we'll find that out that that test will happen but you know i think i think we will adapt we will adapt to it over time it just depends on the path that it that it goes and i think that's the scariest thing is that path is 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 shrouded in in darkness at the moment we don't know what it could lead to well Well, the theme of the matrix was right is that the human beings had to burn the sky in order to shut down the power source for the the ai that took over the world same 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 thing in the Terminator too, wasn't it? Well, no, right. no, Skynet, no, no, Skynet, Skynet, re- yeah, Skynet. Skynet released the bombs in Terminator. That's right. Well, they because it, it, the AI became self-aware. That's right. You know, and now for all those all those truthers out there, like you know, they, they, you know, well, let's say you know the big bad cabal, they 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 send us their messages because they have to tell us what they're going to do through through Hollywood. Okay, and then all of a sudden, you know, what was it? 1996. There was mm. Terminator Two. And that was a pretty epic movie, or what? It, I can't remember the year exactly. Right? 91. And 91 was terminated too. Oh, there you go. 1991. Okay. And then all of a sudden, we've got this AI thing that's now almost out of control, as it is. I mean, like, you know, you have one person who works in the AI industry saying, hey, it's on a closed circuit. It can't learn. It's only fed certain information. It can't jump on the internet. And then you have other experts you know, saying, hey, but wait a second, but it can write its own algorithms and one day it'll be able to write its own algorithms to get out of its jail and that we won't be able to comprehend it. Not to mention that, you know, you're having like things like where, you know, it can process so much data at once, okay? I'm not saying... The the thing is that a a human might be smarter in one topic than AI. So it might be able to go... It might compete head-to-head with AI on one topic. But could it do it on all at once, and then link it over, um, and then and then link them all together to get an outcome? Okay, so you can have, you, you know, you can be good at something, or you might be able to be good at two or three things, but it can be good, if not better than any of us, at a thousand things at once. And I think that's the scary part, also, of the whole AI thing. I'm not a mad fan of it. I think humans should be in charge of humans. And um, I don't see, I can understand what you're coming from, how it can analyze. And that's another thing, Stephen, you know, we know that you're, you know, you're fairly into the, all that, you know, the health stuff. And, you know, I get that whole thing from, you know, the, you know, the blood tests and analyzing. And it might start off really good. But then you also said in the same sentence that humans are really good at adapting. So humans are really good at adapting to corrupt something that's good as well. 
So that's the other thing. So not, necessar- not necessarily could AI be bad, but the influences of the on the AI probably will become or could be bad, and then that's what changes the outcomes. Then so look at the doc- yeah. What if the scriptwriters of of Earth, the TV series that is us, uh, had AI become conscious and starts uh, oppressing humanity, and then a coronal mass ejection is what saves us by blinking out <laughs> the electricity for a while, and and that's that's what actually allows humanity to survive. What yeah. what you've done what you've done there, you've, you've you've turned this into a Seinfeld episode where you've got all these <laughs> <laughs> these different elements that just all come together at the, at the, at the right. once. But um, maybe maybe we'll finish it up there. Um, look, I think these sorts of episodes are our best episodes where it's not totally planned, and uh, you may not be as. Uh, as notable as uh, Dr. Peter McCullough or Professor Ian Plyman, but you're certainly as... Uh, but you're notable to us. Yes, <laughs> and, and uh, I've, I've really enjoyed having you on, and uh, I think we've covered some time, really, really good uh, topics tonight. But um, to finish it off, the, the final segment, I don't think we've done this with you. If we have, let us know, but I'm pretty sure we haven't. It's called Build Your Own Fantasy Government. So, Paul Vallejo, even though uh, you are from America, you said you're a citizen now. Are you, are you able to... Have you got... Citizenship? This is fitting for you. So the next Parliament of Australia, you get to choose five or six people. They can be current politicians, former politicians, mm-hmm. experts in a certain field, uh, maybe your neighbour, whoever it may be. People choose dead people even. Five or six people to head up the next Government of Australia, who would you choose? Um, well, I, I definitely have a few heroes from the last five years. I, you know, I haven't been the most, uh, you know, super uh, knowledgeable about uh, Australian politics, but uh, there are some people who really caught my attention the last few years speaking out when it was uh, uh, unpopular and had costs to do so, uh, speaking out against, um, you know, the, the, the violations of, of informed consent and, and, and asking for, you know, real data that was contrary to popular narrative. So um, my heroes would include uh, Gerard Rennick, uh, for sure, uh, Alex Antic, um, Malcolm Roberts, um, Tanya Davies, uh, and do they have to be politicians or uh, be anyone? anyone. Uh, you know, uh, uh, someone I know personally, Philip Altman, I know has a deep mind and a most beautiful soul. Um, uh, and uh, and how about you guys? <laughs> yeah, right. Very good. And Chat GPT, right? <laughs> uh, I think I'll go with Grok, Elon Musk's. I uh, trust yeah. that a bit more than I do Chat GPT. Yeah, well. Okay, well, yeah, thanks again, Paul, for coming on. I'll let everyone know next week our schedule is going to change a little bit because next week's Christmas Eve. So, Merry Christmas to everyone. But we will be coming. Jingle bells. Yes, we won't be on Sunday next week. It'll be actually Friday. So, it'll be a little bit earlier. We're going to have uh, Michael O'Neill and his wife as well, Barbara O'Neill. So, Michael O'Neill, of course, from IMOP, which is now the Heart Party. And uh, his his wife, uh, Barbara, has got a really fascinating. Uh, story. Her journey has been really quite incredible. That's Michael so, too. My, Michael would be great. He'd be on my list as well. Okay, awesome. So uh, yeah, check that out. That will be coming on Friday, and then the week after may have to be a, a slightly different 
schedule as well. So um, please keep to, up to date with all that on our Facebook and all that sort of thing. But thank you again, Paul. Thank you, Adam. And thank you, everyone, for watching. Remember, you can catch us uh, every week. Uh, you can head to Buy Me A Coffee if you want to support us. And uh, please share our content out. It, it really does help when people share it on their social media or send it by email or whatever you have to do to get this content out there. It, it really helps a lot. So uh, thank you, everyone, for watching, and we'll see you next time. See thank you later. Thank you.